I'm Sandy Swallow. I'm Okalala Lakota and Northern Cheyenne. I've been an artist for over 30 years and through my artwork have portrayed my heritage. Now I'm starting a brand new venture called Lakota Link and I'm here to share with you and I hope you enjoy it. Lakota Link. Greetings from the home of the Seven Council Fires, land of the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaties, bringing stories old and new of Lakota values, courage, respect, wisdom, to name a few. Well, Hi, Elsie. This is Elsie Meeks, and um, I've known Elsie for quite a while, and she lives on the Pine Ridge Reservation and is an enrolled Okalala Lakota. She has quite a story to tell. I, The people I have picked, I feel, are very interesting people, and Elsie's one of them. So how are you doing, Elsie? I'm, I'm good, Sandy, and thank you. I'm, I'm glad I can be counted. Among the interesting ones, but we'll see, I guess. <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about your background. You Tell me well, where you grew up. and. Okay. Well, I grew up on a ranch. Actually, I shouldn't say grew up because until I was three, or not in the third grade, I'm sorry. Um, we lived on a ranch on the very eastern end of Pine Ridge Reservation on called Corn Creek although there's several of them on the reservation. but And I and my twin were the youngest of 10 kids. My dad was Indian and my mom was not. So we, you know, I grew up on a ranch and that's really what I loved and always wanted to continue. And then we moved around a lot for a period of time. My dad went broke on the ranch that one anyway, and then he got he. Then we ended up moving to Porcupine, and ranched there for a number of years, and then we moved to Hot Springs, and my folks ran Maverick Junction, the cafe there. No kidding, I didn't know that. Yep, yep, and that also was for about three years, and then LT. What what was your maiden name then? It was Pet. Um, so my grandmother was a rook and there were 18 in her family and you know it's quite a history to go back to I'm, I'm not real good with family history but her siblings there were 18 of them so I am related to just so many people it's it's crazy my dad counted up at one time and he had 250 first cousins that he could remember. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I really am related to just about everybody, but my husband, I guess. Well, being youngest of 10, 10 kids, are, you, you said youngest of, with your yes, twin? Yes, uh-huh. my twin and I were, uh-huh. The, uh-huh. were the youngest. Uh, she passed away three years ago, almost four years oh, ago now. Oh, you know, I never knew you as a twin, and and I know yeah. that connection is is real strong. Oh, uh, it's incredibly strong. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure you're not over that yet. But, no. um, well, 
uh, for our, our listeners, you know, I guess in a way to explain, I, I'm considered a mixed blood and obviously you are too. And actually mm-hmm. what mixed bloods are is, is uh, part white or uh, in Native American. And, sure. and that's kind of um, a term that we use. And To shorten my life story a little bit, which <laughs> obviously needs to be. Um, so we moved around a lot. I, I have to admit my father had a drinking problem. And so we moved around a lot. But, you know, South Dakota was my home. We, and I, we moved to Wyoming for a period of time. But, boy, I just mourned South Dakota the whole time. So I moved back here in, oh, gosh, 76 and met my current husband, Jim Meeks who is a tribal member here also. And we've ranched here for 40-some years. Oh, okay. But during that 40 years, we, um, you know, I also worked off the ranch and well, you, al- ranch on the you almost had to. I mean, we we farmed and ranched up at Oral. And at that time, uh, this, that was in the 80s, and uh, it, things were so difficult for for the Indian producer or anybody, actually any farmer, rancher, that uh, it was very common to have uh, the wives work, you know, in town or something. And so that kind of brings us to your story, your your fascinating life story with your career, because you've had a great career. And yeah, I I mean, I've been very blessed. So, you know, after we got married and was trying to get a start in ranching, well, first I went to work as, as uh, the bookkeeper and assistant manager at Cedar Pass Lodge, which um, is a venue in in Badlands National Park. And the tribe was the ones that was in charge of that at that time. And so I went to work there as a bookkeeper, although I'd had very little bookkeeping experience. I, God blessed me with the ability to do it. (laughs) And um, so I did that for a, a number of years. But kind of during this time, I just had thought, I don't know where it comes, came from this thought that I would like to get involved in something that was really meaningful, you know, on the reservation. I mean, we're on the reservation, but something that would help people develop or, you know, I wasn't even sure. Well, about that time, uh, there was talk about the Lakota Fund starting. And, you know, at the time, we didn't really understand what it was. We had heard that there was a bank starting and, you know, there was lots of speculation about whether that would be successful. But I just did a little outreach and thought, you know, I'm going to see what it's about. And what it was about, and there was a national group that was helping, you know, a bunch of local people started. I mean, everybody across the reservation was pulled into helping think this through, whether, you know, the college, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, the tribe, schools, just everybody they could think of that, you know, they started having community meetings. And, you know, up to that time, any economic development efforts that, you know, started on the reservation really had to do with job creation, which was fine. So they, you know, there were tax credits available for factories to 
come in. And then when the tax credits were gone, so were the business. You know, it didn't really allow people to start anything themselves. So, you know, after many meetings, it was decided what we needed was a loan fund where people could start their own businesses. And even though, you know, no one hardly had been in business here, we just felt like that's where we should start. And so after many lessons, hard lessons, it was tough going, we got that started. And, you know, I'm happy to say 40 years, 30 years later, it's still, it's thriving and has done some wondrous things. It has. And, um, you know, I think one of the best things that I, I can think of on it is the training available that they have made available to help train people. So it's not a matter of just throwing them into the lake, so to speak, you know, sink or swim. They are there every yeah, step of the way. We learned, and I, I probably should explain a little more what what Lakota the Lakota yes. Fund is. Yes, it's a it's a CDFI, Community Development Financial Institution, and so you know the thing is, banks have a hard time lending on reservations. We used to think that they were just prejudiced, but the truth is, banks are very regulated, and you know they can't take the risk of financing start, you know, people that have never been in business before to be in business. So, you know, it makes sense. There were CDFIs, there's CDFIs all over the country, but they've been particularly helpful in Indian country because they can take risks that other people can't. So the Lakota Fund filled a really important role. I mean, it really allowed people that first step into sometimes their first loan in fact, after a couple of years of lending, and it, it was hard. It was hard teaching people to pay back. But we did a, a survey of our borrowers and found out that 75% of them had never had a loan or, or had a checking account. Actually, 75% had never had a checking account. Like 85% had never had a loan. And really, virtually none of them had been in business before. So, I mean, this was really taking on the most risky loans that could be made. And we found out pretty quickly that, you know, really technical assistance training, capacity building had to be our number one task. Not not loans, but really building capacity and you know, teaching people how to pay back and over 20 years. So I, I was the executive director there for 10 years. I was, I'm just wondering about this. Is that a nonprofit organization? Yes, it is. And so they do accept donations? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And and tell me, Elsie, how would, if if some of our listeners are interested in helping out this, which is, you know, is not charity. I mean, it's just a helping hand to help lift people up so they can continue on. Uh, where would they go to to donate? Well, they can go right to their website, lakotafund.org. Or just Google Lakota Fund on, you know, on Google. Mm -hmm. And 
so yes, I mean, really, the Ford Foundation helped us start up, and you know, our very first lending capital came from the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament, and oh, really? And they invested. It was a loan to us that we, at low interest and perhaps no interest, and we lent it out. And so they take. They also take investments. And in fact, you know, a good portion of their capital that they lend is comes from, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollar investments or five thousand or whatever it is. And and they have never I mean, they have always repaid every loan that to to the Lakota fund. Even though it's risky. Right. Um, but they, you know, they have just done a wonderful job. I mean, it was really hard in the beginning, but, you know, over time, people have learned how to pay back loans, how to run businesses, and, you know, really how to even save money. And that's, that's exactly what we wanted to accomplish. Yes, and, and uh, there are, even though right now we're under quarantine and, you know, uh, staying home, well, my husband and I are staying home quite a bit because of our age <laughs> and our medical situation. But and and a lot of people are out and about. But uh, there's a lot of really nice businesses on Pine Ridge, and when things open up, it it's uh, I encourage people to go. You know, they go see uh, some of the businesses, and I think. Actually, you can be very proud. It sounded like it wasn't easy. Things never are, really. You know, I no, I, I it wasn't. But I am, I am so proud. And at this point, you know, they have a wonderful staff, and and it's just, you know, I'm so proud of what they've done. If there's, I mean, I'm proud of many things that I was able to be a part of. But you know, Lakota Fund is just really the one thing. I still chair their board. Oh, okay. Um, and so I'm in, still involved in it, but I haven't, you know, of course, went on and did other things after, well, in 95 or so from there on, I kind of did some other things, but did chair the board. Well, I'd like people to know some of the things you have done, and I know one thing was rural development, and can you tell a little bit about that? Uh, yes. When Senate or when President Obama was elected president, um, and this is true for any administration, they have the ability to appoint people in certain positions. And USDA Rural Development, you know, had always been really an important uh, federal agency to, if if you're doing rural development, as such as Lakota Fund was, you know, they're doing. Every, everything they do is rural, for that matter. And I was just asked by Senator Johnson if I would be interested in that position. And so through much vetting and this and that, I was appointed in 2009 and served for five and a half years. And rural development is, is really an amazing federal agency. It helps rural communities you know, whether it's water and sewer they need or housing, they do have loans for direct loans and guaranteed loans, multifamily home financing, just a whole variety of, of programs. And um, 
you know, it was really interesting to me being, you know, always before I would apply to rural development for whether it was loan capital or water and sewer. And, and then to be on that side of the, the desk, so to speak, working for a federal agency was quite an education for me and something that I've really, I mean, since just treasured. I mean, at first it was like, really? There's a regulation for that? <laughs> yeah, a, bi- a big learning curve. And, oh, there was. And LT was um, actually over the state of South Dakota with rural development, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was, yes. And it, what a pleasure. I mean, I, I have to say rural development has some of the best staff I've ever seen. You know, I had never been in a situation where I walked in at the time. We had about 140 or so employees statewide and about 30 or so at the state office, which is in Huron, South Dakota, north central South Dakota. And, you know, people said, oh, you get into these federal agencies and, you know, there's much bureaucrats, no incentives to do anything. And boy, was that so completely not true. I mean, we, there were people that were so dedicated to their job and were truly civil servants. And, you know, when I hear people talk badly about federal employees, it just really, really makes me angry because they are hardworking, good intended people. And sometimes they have to enforce regulations that people don't like. And they don't even like necessarily, but that's, you know, they have to do that. They have to go by uh, what they Congress do. and in the yep. laws. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tell people they are only implementers of the policies that get passed, and you know they have to. They're employees, so they have to do it the way their employer says to do it. But they are just just some wonderful people that care deeply about rural communities, and I mean, worked so hard that I mean, I just really. I, I just have such a special place in my heart for all of the employees at Rural Development. What would you say surprised you the most on, you know, well, with Lakota funds, our rural development, that once you really got into it, was there anything that kind of surprised you? For rural development? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I I will say this. The regulations surprised me. I I said a few times, I felt like I got bumped up against some regulation, you know, every half hour. And I, because something, you know, I was used to being able to be flexible about how we accomplish something. Well, if it doesn't work this way, let's do it this way. And then you get to rural development and I would say, what? (laughs) Can't do it that way? (laughs) And so, you know, the, the regulations and once, you know, were just astounding to me. But once I got used to that, you know, sometimes there were workarounds. And, you know, I would say sometimes, I don't see where it says we can't do that. So I'm going to make the decision we can. And, you know, if they throw me in jail, I guess I'll say I should have done that. But, you know, I mean, it wasn't ever anything egregious. But but just, you know, sometimes people do get stuck in a certain way of doing things when there really are some workarounds to it. But it sounds to me like you, you truly had a heart for, for the people you were working for 
end with when you when you care you know you do try your best to to help help that situation and stuff the one thing that I, i i guess i could say is you know people really are not used to working in indian country and and there is there's a definite difference on how you get oh yes and how people perceive indian country and so you know i i was really and i intended to bring about that you know is to help help us figure out better how to work in indian country and you know, I, I can honestly say, I mean, there were some good intentioned people that just hadn't quite figured out how to do that. And I can honestly say, I think I made a difference there. And if I can expound a little bit on something. Sure. I'll, but the one thing that I also look back with, probably the thing I'm the most proud of, a couple of things, but the, the thing I'm the most proud of at Rural Development was, you know, Rural Development has loans for lower income, moderate to low income people. And it's called the 502 direct loan program. They also have a guaranteed program um, that works through banks. And that, that, that program works pretty well. But the direct loans, which is completely suited for, you know, someone on a reservation or, you know, in a poor community. And we and the and the Obama administration really wanted these you know us to do a lot of outreach to the tribes to the reservations and so we had South Dakota had actually done twice as many as any other state, and we had done two in a year five o two loans and we have a lot of reservations in South Dakota, so you know there was just the staff really didn't know how to to like get them out the door, you know, and and given, you know, my background, I knew what it would take was you have to do you have to be in the community. You have to do individual outreach. But there's also a lot of barriers to home ownership in Indian country, and that is, you know, just getting the land the land status issues worked out. Or so working with the Bureau of Indian Affairs, you know, you have to build a house. There's not a housing stock on most reservations. And getting people's credit built up, just all of that. And, you know, it was the same across every reservation in South Dakota, not just Pine Ridge. We started trying to figure out, you know, where do we start with this? I suggested that we you know, build a coalition, find out how many people would help us tackle this issue and if there were people interested in helping us solve the challenges. And so we just kind of sent out some letters and saying, met with the South Dakota Housing Development Dakota Housing Authority. And he agreed to facilitate a meeting at his, or at least hold the meeting at, at the housing authority in Pier, And so we sent out letters to some bankers that we thought might be interested or lenders to, I mean, a whole host of community developers, et cetera. And we wanted at this first meeting to have like, you know, 
maybe 24 or so, a couple dozen people come and just kind of brainstorm, you know, what, how we thought we could begin to tackle these issues. There were almost 60 people showed up. So that was in 2012, I believe. And that, and, and we named it then the South Dakota Native Homeownership Coalition. And they have done so many things. I mean, completely organized. We raised money for it. Northwest Area Foundation helped to finance it. But so did, I mean, it's, and it's now, it's still going. And they have now had an internship program where, um, you know, they allow contractors to hire tribal members so that tribal members can build their skills in building homes. They uh, started an inspector certification program and so that we could get more inspectors at the, you know, at local levels, which is, you know, a big issue, just getting inspectors out. I mean, it's just really done some amazing things. And I'd encourage people to go to the South Dakota Native Homeownership Coalition website and just see what all they have accomplished. But that, I know I had a role in that, and I'm just very proud of what they've been able to do. And and it, it's accomplished so much that I really can't, I don't have time to talk about it all. Well, right now, with the uh, COVID virus, and there's been a such a problem with businesses. And when I say that, I'm, you know, they've had to be shut down. And then, you know, then slowly started back up. It's also affected the producers, you know, the Native American producers on the reservations through the food chain, you know, uh, with Mm -hmm. cattle and things like that. So, you know, I think this is very educational to let people know there are different agencies they can go to. Maybe they have to try a few different ones. There is things out there that can help. And, and I think, you know, a lot of people are going to need help. And I'm, I'm thankful that my husband and I were stable in our finances, and we're able to not worry too too much, you know, we're able to stay home in quarantine. But I know a lot of young people, other people, you know, live paycheck to paycheck. And so some of these things you're talking about that's very interesting a lot of common people so to speak like me <laughs> you know just might not know about that and so i i i think elsie that this is very good information you're giving us is there anything else that you can think of you know well the one thing i guess i could go, going back to lakota fund you know the, the lakota fund in the last for years probably have has been making ag loans. Oh. And they are actually a guaranteed lender through Farm Service Agency, part of USDA. And um, and then they also, you know, have been trying to help ranchers and farmers, mostly ranchers on Pine Ridge here, you know, access the programs that have become available through the CARES Act. And so not a, there's not a lot available at this point, and maybe later. But Lakota Fund has been really on the, you know, cutting edge and trying to keep abreast of how they can be helpful to businesses as well as um, ranchers. 
You know, you know, I think, you know, just uh, my own thought process is I really wish that there would be a butcher shop and a meatpacking plant on the reservation Uh because right now, you know, well, some of my family is down in the southwest part of the reservation and they're ranchers and um, this story is kind of... My cousin told me she went, needed to get hamburger, so she went to Gordon and where they, you know, process their meat and stuff and just to buy some hamburger from them. And she was able to, and then she inquired about when she could get their beef processed. And it was March 2021. And, yeah, and, I know. We have, we have the same issue. Yes, and, and I... That's so important. I mean, that's something people don't think about, you know, maybe in the big cities, but it would just be great. Sandy, you know what would be really interesting as part of this, not not this conversation, but another one, is really talking about, you know, the whole packer issue and how really there's four packers that, you know, especially in the beef industry, that really control everything, control the markets. And now that they are going, you know, they're, they have been disrupted exactly what you're talking about. There's, they have driven out all the regional and kind of local processors. You know, they can't buy, buy cattle. You know, they don't have the deep pockets the packers do. But, you know, this has really, I think, illustrated a weakness in that system. I mean, there's yeah. got to, there has to be some redundancy. And same thing with us. We've got some beef that needs to go, and we called Philip, Wall, Kadoka, Martin. They're clear into May. And so my son, who lives in Wyoming, he could get us in in July, but that's in Riverton, Wyoming. Well, that's an awful long ways to go. And I've had the um, honor to be able to talk to Zach Dushnell, and, yes. he, and he is a, a director on intertribal ag council and yeah, we exactly. we visited a little bit about this and he's actually on one of my uh podcasts right right now we're oh, good on, good that's yeah, great he is he's he he's got very articulate it, yes and very um smart <laughs> and very so smart. you know this is this is what you know lakota link oh, link is for um to to bring awareness of different situations to the Lakota and to other people, not just Lakota, but well, Elsie, you know, this has been really a great conversation. And, you know, I always like to kind of tie some of the Lakota values to who I'm talking to. I have them right in front of me and I can, I can say that uh, I feel one of the values you have is perseverance. And as a woman, and to have accomplished what you've accomplished, it's not easy. You know, I, I'm an artist, and traditionally uh, women weren't necessarily the artists. They were in in beadwork and other art, but not necessarily uh, painting. And so I'm always happy to talk to another woman that has kind of been oh, there. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, we've gotten our ranch on the ground because, because of our perseverance. And, of course, you know, my husband's been on the tribal council for 
oh, I don't even know how many years. Um, I think 94 was his first term in office, and he's probably missed a couple of years, a couple of terms between that time and now. And so he's finishing up eight or nine terms. He's done. He says he's not running again. But So it does take perseverance, that's it, for sure. It does. And, you know, we've known each other just kind of in a distant sort of way. I mean, I've known yeah. about you and stuff. But uh, I guess another value I would say is, you have the Lakota value of truth and you do, you do say it like it is. And, and people need to do that more because I mean, so those two values I can think of for you. you. And, and I so much appreciate you taking time out of your busy day. Cause I know you have a Takoja there and that's always fun. Uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, that's a grandchild and Elsie's taken some time out of her family life to, to visit with us. And I would ask you, I, I would sure hope that we can have another conversation down the road. Sure. That would be great. Maybe I'd be more prepared next time. Oh, you've done just fine. Okay, I'm going to say goodbye. Thank you for doing this. Well, I hope you enjoyed our segment. You know, I I enjoy visiting with the people. And if you did, go to sandyswallowgallery.com where you can find my artwork and find some history and some background. Please subscribe to it. Or if you have some comments, we would love to hear your opinion. This is a new adventure for us, and I value your opinion. This song is written and sung by my good friend, Quincy Goodstar. Lakota Link is here to share Lakota values. God bless you on your journey. Wopila, thank you for joining us.